What is the fate of those who have never heard of Jesus and his saving work on the cross? Well, we hear Bobby's evolution on this issue in this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. There can be a sense of disappointment, sometimes anger, and and often confusion when we consider the fate of those who have never heard of the saving message of Jesus Christ. What options are available to Christians regarding unreached people groups? If this sort of issue has caused you to doubt, you are in the right place. Welcome to the show that loves doubters. Here on Christianity Still Makes Sense, we are making sense of the doubts that can deconstruct our Christian faith with near apostate, now pastor and apologist, Dr. Bobby Conway. I'm your host, Tim Hall. Now, Bobby, I know that this question has wrecked you at one time. So the question regarding the fate of those who have never heard the gospel, tell us a little bit about your journey with that question. It's true, Tim. As you know, I don't hide the fact that I've been buffeted by my own set of doubts. And frankly, that's my passion uh, through Christianity still makes sense to help doubters and those deconstructing uh, to know that they don't have to walk away from Christianity on account of some of those troubling questions. But the question before us today did indeed rock my world and the seismic activity uh, was compounded with world travel. Uh, The 1040 window refers to that rectangular area of North Africa, the Middle East and Asia between 10 degrees north and 40 degrees north latitude. And it refers to that area of the world where people live and have never been exposed to the gospel or are totally resistant to it, largely due to the reigning beliefs of Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism. But to observe this window, all one must do is type in the 1040 window on Google Images, and they can take their own peek at this rectangular portion of the world in need of the gospel. I especially remember a trip, Tim, that I took to Northern India, part of this 1040 window region. And I was in the area where many people had never heard the gospel in India. And I remember eating a chicken and bothered that the feathers were fried into the crust as I could just see them dangling out my chicken. And a guy walked by me uh, after I noticed him carrying a live chicken. Uh, So here I am noticing that I've got feathers on my chicken. I'm disturbed. And then a guy walks by that I notice carrying a live chicken as that poor thing was about to be plated up for the next person's meal. But at the same dining experience, one Indian saw me and I was told I was the first white person that he ever saw. And I thought, man, that's crazy. Uh, I I knew I was in a distant land. Uh, But on this trip, Tim, I was eaten up at the thought of generation after generation coming and going only to be cast into hell simply because they never heard the gospel content. And so this caused me to rethink hard exclusivism as I once held to a term we will discuss as the conversation evolves. Well, I'm, I'm, as the vegetarian between us, I'm just uh, getting that very vivid picture of um, the feathers and the chicken and, and somebody walking by yeah, with a chicken to, to make another meal. But but before we unpack those terms, you just mentioned hard exclusivism, uh, we want to discuss some objections. So why do you think in our current context, people have such a hard time stomaching Jesus' exclusive claims to be the only way to heaven? 
Well, to a large degree, the culture we live in is pluralistic. So it's not surprising to understand how the exclusive claims of Christ can serve as a great excuse for skeptics looking for a reason to reject Christianity. And yet, we'd all be wise to remember that exclusive claims aren't unique to Christianity. Uh, as I discussed last week with you, Tim, I realized that every belief system is exclusive in, it, exclusive in its own way. Uh, think about it. Atheism is exclusive. Atheists say there is no God, and that if you believe in another God or many gods, they'll say you're wrong. But isn't that being exclusive? Relativists are exclusive. They maintain that truth is relative to the individual, and that if you claim the truth is absolute, they'll say you're wrong. Yet, isn't that exclusive? Or agnostics are exclusive. They insist that you can't know whether God exists or not, but if you claim that he does exist or doesn't exist, then they'll say that you're wrong. Isn't that exclusive? And even in that land of India that I was in, in that 1040 region area that is populated with Hinduism and its polytheism, uh, where many people might think that's the world of pluralism, but even that is exclusive. Uh, they believe in many gods, but if you say God doesn't exist, or if you claim there's only one God, then they'll accuse you of being wrong. So isn't that exclusive? So at last, I can see that the issue isn't about being exclusive. Uh, any claim that we make uh, to truth is going to be exclusive. It's about which of these beliefs is true. And since I am speaking as a Christian apologist and a once tormented doubter regarding this question, I will share with you how I came to both mentally and emotionally rest despite the apparent tension presented to us in Jesus' exclusive claim in John 14, 6. Well, let's discuss um, uh, with with us a, a few heretical options, uh, some heretical views throughout church history that people have leveraged to cope with Jesus' exclusive claims. Yeah, of course, Tim. So there's a few different views. Uh, you have those who are universalists, and on this view, everyone will ultimately be saved. Um, someone, uh, some would say that everyone goes to heaven after they die. Uh, if they're universalists, but other universalists might argue, oh, there's going to be sort of this purgatorial purging before they get there. But either way, uh, in that time, God will soften their hearts and everybody will end up in heaven. Yeah. Origen, who lived uh, in the second and third centuries, a church father uh, who was deemed a heretic by uh, many, uh, where others will look to him. And it's not that he didn't have a lot of great things to say, uh, but in particular on this area, he was a universalist, and that was hard for a lot of people to digest. Uh, not only that, uh, there are those today that would claim that somebody like Rob Bell is a universalist. After he wrote his book, Love Wins, uh, that was the conclusion that many uh, drew. Um, but after reading his New York best-selling book, I found myself uh, not thinking that he went all the way there. But he was close, and I refer to him as a postmortem, nuanced, purgatorial inclusivist. He holds that given uh, the fact that we're free, uh, there might be some people who remain hardened. Nevertheless, his view was heretical for sure. For sure. Um, another view would be purgatory, and this is the idea that those who die may need a season of pruning before they are ready for heaven. Now, you could hold the purgatory and be a universalist. That is to say, you could believe that somebody gets a purgatorial purge, 
before being absorbed into God's universal plan, or you could hold to purgatory like uh, many would in the Catholic Church and say, uh, if you don't end up believing, then you will, you know, find yourself in hell, eternally separated from God. So uh, the problems with this teaching aren't lacking, right? The, uh, the Bible says nothing about purgatory, and the Bible teaches in Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed for man once to die, and then the judgment. And the other issue that I really struggle with with purgatory is that you would be contributing to your own salvation, and we both know that Jesus was purged for our sins on the cross so that we wouldn't have to be purged for our own sins in purgatory. Yeah, I mean, particularly in the Rob Bell case, he, you know, some of his views were just so elusive. He, he never really wanted to kind of land on That's this right. is exactly what it is. So you really had to dive into his content, which you did, and you wrote a response book to that. But but isn't there another view, sort of a, a middle ground between this universalism and the exclusivism that we talked about earlier? There is. It's known as inclusivism. Okay. Now, inclusivists are willing to grant a salvific past to people of other faith traditions, provided that they respond to God's revelation in creation and aspects of truth within their own belief systems that cohere with Christianity. So supporters of this view are people like C.S. Lewis, J.I. Packer, and John Wesley, for a few examples. But to such thinkers, God uh, you know, would be unjust to send them to hell on account of never hearing the gospel. So that's where kind of the inclusivists would arrive at that middle ground position. Uh, so before you go on to, you know, discuss this uh, exclusivism, uh, I, I want to remind our audience that uh, that our audience is a listener-supported show. Uh, a free and easy way to support the show is to like this video, share it, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can also join our support team. You can sign up for our email list and more by visiting ChristianityStillMakesSense.com. Uh, okay, perhaps now it would be a good time for you to discuss exclusivism. Now, you cut the term up in, into two. You distinguish between a, a soft and a hard exclusivism. Please explain. Yeah, that's correct. So hard exclusivism speaks for itself. It's cut and dry. Uh, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets the Father except through me. Uh, and in this, Jesus is the only way. But by hard exclusivism, those who never heard of the gospel are eternally separated from him and go to hell. Mm. So for the hard exclusivists, that's why um, they are motivated to get the gospel out. But for me, it's hard to stomach this idea uh, for reasons that will become clear as we move along, Tim. Soft exclusivism softens this blow without denying that Jesus is the only way to heaven. It agrees with the hard exclusivist that Jesus is the only way to heaven. But on this view, if a person responds by faith to the light that they do have, according to general revelation, a scene in creation and conscience, that person could be saved on account of what Jesus did do, even though this person might be bereft of the gospel story. So think of this then in light of the inclusivists, whereas the inclusivists might be a little bit more comfortable saying those in other belief traditions could end up being included in God's salvific plan. I think the soft exclusivist is a little bit more hard edged on that and would say if anybody has committed themselves to Buddhism or 
Islam or Hinduism, uh, then they would not fit into this category of soft exclusivism. The soft exclusivist would be the person responding to general revelation that God created the universe and to conscience that God is the one who's given us the moral law. Yeah, what, what might be some other things that kind of distinguish the, the soft exclusivist uh, a, a, to, in opposition to the inclusivist? So what, what might yeah. some differences be? So yeah, it, it, it's sort of the middle position, I guess, between hard exclusivism and inclusivism. So like I said, Tim, the soft exclusivist position that I hold to, salvation cannot be acquired by those who've already committed themselves to another religious belief. Like I said, Islam, Buddhism, or Hinduism. However, in the event that someone intuits their beliefs are wrong and responds positively by faith to God in general revelation, well, uh, and conscience, then I can see how God could save them uh, because of what Jesus did, even though they haven't been given that information piece. So the paradigm would look something like this. Suppose someone exists in a 1040 window who's never heard the gospel. And they cry out to God saying, God, I'm not sure who you are, but I believe you created the universe and I believe you are a good God and and that I have failed to live up to your moral expectations for me. By faith, will you humbly forgive me? Let's say the individual says. Now, what does this person's prayer entail? Well, a recognition that God is creator, that he's good, and that the person has sinned along with a prayerful act of faith and the asking for pardon, a confession. So if somebody never heard the gospel or read the Bible or had been given a dream or some type of mystical encounter with God, would this suffice? And I would argue that God could choose to save that person on account of their faith in light of what Christ accomplished through his atonement, even though the person remains in the dark regarding that historic event. Again, like under the old covenant, this is exactly how people outside the covenant community were made right with God. By faith, they responded to general revelation, right? So are we to imagine that at the very moment Jesus said to Telestai, it is finished, that those geographically out of reach for hundreds of years to come would no longer be able to be made right with God due to their lack of proximity to the Holy Land? Think about it. Had the person in India who responded to general revelation the moment before Christ drew his final breath, he would have been able to get right with God only to be in a position one moment after Christ's final breath. And you think about this because now this person is going to live forever in hell because of proximity. The moment before Christ says, it is finished and offers up his final breath. The person in India could have been saved on account of general revelation, but the moment afterwards, due to proximity, the person's hose. So I would say in the same way that God held people accountable for the knowledge that they had under the old covenant, is it not fair to hope that he would operate similarly under the new covenant? Otherwise, you have millions of people who have spent eternity apart from Christ on account of not believing a message to which they've never been exposed. So this would beg the question, does that seem just? It seems to me that the gospel is not compromised in the least if somebody genuinely responds by faith, Tim, to general revelation as disclosed in creation and conscience. If this condition still stands, 
then people in this position could still be saved in a manner like those under the old covenant who weren't familiar with what Christ would accomplish on the cross. Well, and I think one of the things that we need to kind of grant before we go to our next question is the the compassion with which that this objection comes up and really starts to to you know wreck people. Mm. And I know that was the case for you. That was the case for me as I'm thinking about this. And and maybe some of our viewers are having the same sense. They're 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 driven by compassion for the people that are in that 1040 window and people throughout history to say they they need an opportunity. They want an opportunity to be able to share uh, yeah. the saving grace of Jesus's work on the cross with them. But but I can also hear somebody say that, okay, if that's the case, then why bother sharing the gospel at all with those who have never heard? How do we answer that objection? Yeah, and, and that's important to bring out, Tim. I mean, you're right. What I'm sharing, I wouldn't want people to miss the compassion in this, uh, but you can't miss the compassion in Love Wins by Rob Bell. Mm-hmm. So the danger is, is we're not to be led by our compassion to what truth is, but we should realize that God's a compassionate God. And if we start thinking about a view that seems to lack compassion, like, hey, you're going to spend hell for not believing in Jesus, but you never had a chance to hear in Jesus, who <laughs> believe right. in Jesus because you never right. heard of him. Well, that seems like that lacks compassion. So I do think, well, um, you, you can find sometimes people, you know, preach it, brother, when you start talking about hell and you're thinking, boy, does this person want the people to go to hell? Uh, and, it, you know, they might seem like they lack compassion. But if compassion drives us, then we might lose sight of holding fast to truth. And we don't want to do that. But to your question, Tim, uh, if that is the case, why bother sharing the gospel with those who've never heard? And I would say because becoming a Christian includes so much more then bypassing hell. The gospel is a way of life. Uh, and the more revelation one has, the more in sync one can live in a new covenant way. And not only that, but if a person were uh, to truly respond by faith, the general revelation, it is my belief that that same person would also affirm the gospel message if given the chance to hear it. In other words, the gospel would resonate as the truth this person had been searching for. And by our taking God's fuller revelation to cultures that belong to the 1040 window, people would have far greater access to receiving and implementing all that God has in store for them through his revealed word. Well, I, okay, so I think there's another category of people, well, there's several categories of people that, that kind of fall into this that we need to address before we, we end our discussion. So what about the fate of those who are, you know, babies? I mean, this is part of my family story. I had an older sister that died uh, at six months, or the, the mentally, uh, you know, incapacitated or the mentally handicapped. How, how would we respond to those, you know, what, what you've talked about as, as the light, the light of the gospel? How, how would we deal with that? For me, I, I think that speaks for itself. Um, I, I don't think babies or the mentally impaired um, or those who can't understand things, like mentally impaired to the point that they can't understand something, will be forever separated from God. Mm. I think God's grace uh, would apply to them uh, it, because they wouldn't understand really any of the lights uh, in in this situation, like a baby's not going to, or somebody who's so mentally fractured, Mm. um, they're not going to understand, uh, you know, the intellectual arguments uh, uh, that we use in natural uh, religion to argue from, you know, creation to a creator or from, uh, you know, moral guilt to a moral law giver. Uh, 
and neither would a baby. Uh, so I really do think that God's grace would apply to them. Uh, the Bible, um, you know, doesn't get into a lot of that detail there. But I think that somebody who would say, you know, they're going to go to hell. Uh, I, I think, you know, it doesn't say that either. <laughs> so I would much uh, rather lean on the side of giving God in his compassionate love for humanity that would be impaired in that way, the benefit of the doubt, uh, because that would seem far more gospel oriented than to say that, you know, the mentally impaired that couldn't even comprehend things like general revelation or the gospel for that matter, or babies would go to hell. I think that just gives Christianity a bad name. Yeah, definitely. Well, well, let, let's wrap this up. What are some final principles that all of us would do well to remember as, as Christians regarding the fate of those who have never heard? There are some principles worth remembering for sure. And I think it can help to recall that God is love. So when I thought about this whole, you know, struggle that I was going on uh, in India uh, with thinking about people being forever separated from God for not hearing the gospel, um, outside of a, a soft exclusivist position that I hold to, there's principles that help me in the salvation issue. And also anytime I see like things that might seem, oh, how could this person uh, be taken out? Like the Canaanites, you know, it talks about the woman or the children. These are principles that can help us, right? Uh, that God is love. Anyone who does not love God uh, does not know God because God is love. The Bible teaches that God is just in Psalm or in Job 34, 12 um, of a truth. God will not do wickedly and the almighty will not pervert justice. Uh, we know that God desires all to be saved. Uh, we read in 1 Timothy 2, in verses 3 to 5, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So everyone, Tim, has, has some knowledge or light to respond to. And by everyone... Yes, that would, uh, you know, exclude the baby or somebody who is in a coma or somebody is literally so mentally uh, malfunctioning that they, they, they don't have that capacity. Hmm. But if you're not in that place, God has given light. And the kind of light he's given is uh, he's given us guiding lights toward the gospel. There's the light of curiosity. Ecclesiastes 3.11, God said eternity in our hearts. So we're built with the curiosity. There's the light of conscience in Romans 2, 14 through 16. There's the light of creation in Romans 1 or Psalm 19. There's the light of circumstances where providence or sensing God at work um, or stories of angels and dreams. Uh, all of these are, are, are lights that point to the ultimate light of the gospel, which we read in John three nineteen. This is verdict. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Mm. So ultimately, no one will have an excuse on account of not having enough light. As the scriptures say, Tim, in Romans 1.20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Well, we covered a lot in this episode. Any final thoughts or comments you want to leave our audience with? We did tackle a lot here. And again, uh, this is my journey. Be a good Berean. Go study the Bible. 
you know, I'm not saying that I have this all figured out, but I do think I've shared a position that could be shown to be biblically faithful, to be uh, compassionate, and to allow us to deal with the angst of those who've never heard while still being missionally motivated to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Well, uh, thank you so much for your insight here and for your journey and allowing us to uh, be able to glean some insight from your journey. Well, thank you, Tim. On this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense, we we dove deep into a lot of different subjects. And if you have lasted this long, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, we would invite you to click subscribe. And we hope to see you next time on the show that's called Christianity Still Makes Sense. Thank you for checking out this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. This show is just one of the many resources available to those who are doubting their Christian faith. You can also find others at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com. This is a listener-supported show, and your gift of any amount helps shows like this continue. Click on the donate link on our website. Also, catch Bobby on Pastor's Perspective, where he answers your questions. Finally, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to click subscribe and check out our other videos on the channel. This show is sponsored by K-Wave and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.